0: Okay, so we are in Luke 11. I'm going to be finishing up uh, this chapter for us today. And uh, we've seen in the past chapter uh, Jesus confronting some people, uh, his followers, for uh, looking for an outward sign. And so uh, if you'll remember the past few weeks, Ben preaching and telling us about, uh, last week was the sign of Jonah. And uh, so these people were looking for a sign. They wanted to see miracles. And, and Jesus said, the only one I'm going to show you is uh, the sign of Jonah. And uh, that's his uh, dying and being resurrected again from the grave, uh, and and we and we talked about how these outward signs of desire for an outward sign uh, is stems from their unbelief, and uh, today we're going to see some more unbelief uh, in chapter eleven, um, and so we'll start in verse uh, thirty-seven. Uh, Open your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, there's a table back here. Uh, You can grab one. And if you don't have a Bible at home, that's our gift to you. We want you to have God's Word uh, so you can study and learn. Uh, So verse 37. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. Okay, so uh, in verse 29, Luke tells us that the crowds were increasing. And so Jesus is teaching these people, and, and uh, the crowd's getting really big. And it was dinner time. It's time to eat, so people were getting hungry. And, and one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to come and eat with him. And so he went in and... and uh, so Luke wrote this book, he, uh, Luke wrote Luke and Acts, and uh, these two books in the Greek New Testament are uh, two of the, the hardest books to translate, because Luke is a doctor, he's really well educated, and he uses really, uh, really difficult language uh, to translate, and uh, it's not because he's dumb, but it's because he's really smart, and so uh, he's a doctor using a really advanced language, uh, and so he's, he's precise with the words that he uses, uh, he doesn't waste a word, and and uh, that is seen in this in this verse as well. So, uh, and in this time in verse thirty-seven, it's not what Luke or it's not what yeah what Luke uh, did say, but it's what he didn't say. Uh, you see that um, Jesus went in to dine with him, so he went in and reclined at table. Well, what did what did Jesus not do? What are we missing here? Well, verse thirty-eight tells us the Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. Okay, so. Jesus intentionally went in to eat, but he didn't wash his hands, and that was on purpose. It wasn't an accident. He didn't forget that he was supposed to do that, but it was on purpose. Uh, and why was the, the Pharisee astonished? That's really important to get. So, uh, in in the Old Testament, that, that's called the Written Law, and that's what the Jews followed. There's 613 written commandments in the Written Law in the Old Testament. That, that's a lot, right? Say yes yes thank you and but some some of the Pharisees didn 't feel like that was enough, so they they had created this thing called the oral law, and the oral law was intended to help the the Pharise- to, to help the the people of Israel uh, keep god 's written law and so the written law is inspired by God. We know that the oral law is not inspired by god that 's really important to get and uh, part of the oral law was uh, this, you know, ritual cleansing. So when they ate, they were supposed to wash their hands in a certain way. And they're supposed to wash every dish and bowl and piece of silverware that they used because they felt that it was uh, something that had to do before they could eat. And it's not a cleanliness thing. You know, we tell our kids... um, if you have children, and if you don't have children, you remember your mom or dad probably telling you, you know, wash up before dinner. And we tell our kids that because they're dirty and filthy, and they don't know not to pick up everything on the ground. Right? It's gross. And that's not, you know, Jesus is an adult. He's not a child. And so he knows not to pick up nasty things. And so it's not, you know, they're not supposed to wash because it's dirty. It was a, it's a ritual thing. It's a ceremonial thing. And, and so that's why Jesus um, didn't do it because, um, he wanted this opportunity to confront the Pharisees. Uh, the language that Luke uses is very clear that Jesus did this on purpose. It wasn't an accident. Oh, and um, in verse 38, it says The Pharisee was astonished to see they did not wash before dinner. So the Pharisee didn't say anything, right? But then in verse 39, Jesus starts to talk to him Now, you Pharisees, cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give his alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. Okay, so this Pharisee didn't say anything. Jesus just knew what he was thinking, right? We've seen this all throughout the book of Luke so far, and I, I have to think, if I was there and I didn't really like Jesus, I wouldn't hang out with him, because you know, if I'm there and hanging out with him, and, and I think something bad, like he's going to call you out on it. So why would you go and like think, like, oh man, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. I can't believe he didn't do that. Like you're asking to get whooped on by Jesus. Okay, so I don't even know why they go, but they did. So um, God's sovereign. And so verse 39, the Lord said, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. And so Jesus uses their obsession with the oral law, with these rituals that they were supposed to, use, to do. He uses that as an illustration about them. So he says, you guys, you love to clean the outside of this stuff that you use. You love to follow these rules. But inside you are full of greed and wickedness. And so um, he's, he's you know, going after them. He's confronting them about this. And again, you know, this oral law, they're supposed to wash their hands and the outside and the inside of their dishes as well. But he's using it as an illustration to say, you know, the outside is clean. You know, you guys are clean in the outside. You do all the right things. You say all the right things. But inside, you are dirty. And so, what he's communicating and what we're going to see in this passage is that Jesus is saying two things it's not what's on the outside that matters, it's on the inside. And he's going after, the second thing is their legalism. They're very legalistic. And we're going to see, you know, Jesus is really going to go after him for that as well. And then he calls them fools. He's in verse 40. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? And so fools in in scripture, this word means someone who uh, points other people away from God. And so, they're fools if they're leading other people astray, which they are. And Jesus is going to tell us a lot more about why they're leading people astray. So, he calls them fools. And says, Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? And so, again, using this as an illustration for their own hearts. Like, hey, Jesus made you as a whole person. Like, he made you with the ability to do actions, to, to do things, to do good things for other people. And But he also gave you motivations. You know, you can do anything, like even if it is what he's about to tell us, give alms, but if it's with the wrong motivation, that you might as well not have done it. And so Jesus tells them uh, in verse 41, but give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. Okay, so what are alms? That's that's kind of important to get. Uh, alms are—it's kind of like charity. We don't really use that word a ton anymore, but um, the idea is sort of like charity, but it's—it's it's not, you know, dropping some loose change in the the bell ringer at Walmart uh, at Christmas time. It's not giving 25 or 50 bucks to the Red Cross or something like that. Uh, what Jesus is communicating here is that um, an alm isn't just you know, this little side thought, but it is intentional and it's really sacrificial because it's almost like he's asking them to, to reach down into the lower you know, socioeconomic classes around them. Reach down and bring someone up to your own level. Right? That's not something that we can do just you know, with some loose change, that takes some sacrifice. And that's, that's radical. And then he, he tells them, this is, um, if you do this, behold, everything is clean for you if you give those things that are within. So is, is Jesus saying that if you do these things, you're going to be made clean? Well, no, that's not, that's not what he's saying. The only way, most of the time, the only way that someone is going to make that radical, sacrificial offering or alm is if they have a new heart. And that's what That's what the whole thing is about. If you don't have a new heart, you can't do anything with the proper motivations. You know, before we know Christ, we can't do anything that's not sinful, even if it looks like it's not sinful on the outside. You know, you can give to the church, you can you know, help old ladies walk across the street, you can do anything, but it's not good because your motivations are wrong. You're you know, either trying to get glory for yourself, you're trying to look like a good guy, or, or whatever it is, but if you don't have the right motivations, if you don't have a new heart, then you can't be made clean, you can't do the right thing. And that's the importance of having a new heart. And then, uh, starting in verse 42, this is, uh, he's going to go into six woe statements. The first three are to Pharisees, and the second three are to the teachers of the law. So, verse 42. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb, and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Okay, so... So this is the first of six, of series of six was. And he's telling them um, the, the big thing that they're missing here. You know, they follow the minutia of the law, the, every single thing of the law. But they miss the big stuff. Uh, okay, so in the written law, you remember the, the oral and written law. Oral was not inspired, but the written law was inspired. So they were supposed to follow the written law. And, and in that written law, they were supposed to tithe on everything they have. Like, so if you're a farmer and I don't know the conversion rate, I, I, you know, let's say you make 100, you, you harvest 100 bushels of wheat. Well, 10 of those you're supposed to give to the church, give to God. And that's a tithe, that's a tenth. And that's what they were supposed to do. And these Pharisees took this to the extreme. They went crazy with it. So they had an herb garden and they would tithe, if they had 10 mint bushes, they would take one of them, all the leaves from that one, and give it to the church. Like, these guys were radical. And they were, they were doing their very best to follow the, the most of the law that they could. But Jesus tells them, um, you neglect justice and the love of God. These things you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So he's saying, look, you know, it's good that you're tithing all this stuff. That's a good thing to do. But not at the expense of the most important things. So in another instance in the gospel... Um, uh, a man comes up to Jesus and uh, he says, what things I, do I have to do to, to inherit the kingdom of God? And, um, and he summarizes the whole Old Testament, the whole law as this. Uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. These two things sum up the entirety of the law. So if these Pharisees are tithing and they're going crazy with you know, they're giving, which is great, you're, you should do that, um, but they miss what the whole point of the law is to love God and love other people. They totally missed it. And so he's saying, like, don't neglect the, the one thing for the expense of the other. Okay, so just a short aside, because it, it, it's come up here. Um, they tithed, right? Well, do we have to tithe? You know, a lot of times you hear churches talk about, you know, give temper- give God his 10%. That's what he deserves. You know, that's, that's what he tells us to do in Scripture. Well, uh, We had a guy, Jeff Volker, come. He's a New Covenant theologian. Really sharp guy. And we talked about the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And we're in the New Covenant in Christ. Christ fulfilled every single commandment in the written law. All 613 of them. He didn't break one of them. And because he did that, he was made eligible to be our perfect sacrifice. So he went on the cross and died in our place. And the only way he could do that and take our sins away is because he was a perfect sacrifice. And so uh, he did away with the law. He he consumed and fulfilled the law. So now we can walk in Christ, in new life in Christ. So we don't have to tithe a tenth of what we get. Jesus has given us everything. Everything we have is his. So we are now free in Christ to give much and beyond that. We're free in Christ to give 20 or 30 or 50% of what we get because it's his anyway. And so I wanted to make that very clear. You know, I'm not, we don't, we don't tell you guys to give. You know, later you're going to have the opportunity to give. Uh, we're not telling you to give out of compulsion. We're telling you to give out of what Christ is already to give you out of love for Christ. Okay, so verse, um, verse 43. Woe well, to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. So this is the second woe. In this one, what Jesus is going at is that, hey, you guys, you love the recognition that you get from other people because of your position. And so in the synagogue, it was, it was set up somewhat similarly to this. There's there a crowd of people here, and then up front, there was a table. And these were the best seats. So, you know, you guys all see me now. the, the. The leaders, the Pharisees, would sit up front, and they loved the fact that when it was their turn to sit up front, everyone could see them and everyone heard them teach. And they loved getting that recognition from people. And then um, the greetings in the marketplaces. So when they would go to the grocery store to, to get whatever they needed to get, you know, go to the market buy food, they loved it when people would come up to them and say. And, and, and it wasn't a greeting in the marketplace. wasn't like, oh, hey, Rabbi, what's up? It was like, oh, Rabbi, hey, how are you doing? You know, so good to see you. Oh, I loved your, you know, your talk on Isaiah last week. And, you know, it's this big, long thing. And they loved the fact that everyone in the marketplace saw them receive that praise or whatever. And, and so Jesus is saying, hey, look, you can't go after the recognition of other people. That's not the point. You're, you're completely missing it. I know that's, that's something that we fall into today. You know, we love, do you love getting the recognition of other people? You know, it goes down to the, the small things that we do. You know, the car that we drive, the, the phone that we have, the clothes that we wear. Do you want people to see you and recognize you? Some people come to church because they want the people around them to see, oh, look, so-and-so's here. He's such a good guy. He's such a good girl. Like, Are you coming to church? Are you doing the, the right thing, but with the wrong heart, with the wrong motivation? If you are, it's not pleasing to God. And that's what he's going after here. Verse 44, the third woe. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. Okay, so unmarked graves. Well, in, in the written law, um, the, the, uh, the Israelites had to be clean, ceremonially clean, in order to worship. And in that time, this was in the written law, so they were supposed to follow it. So It's a good thing. Um, it was a a written law that if they come in, into contact with a dead body or with a grave, they had a week-long process to, to do before they were able to worship again. And, and so what they would do is they would, they would paint the tombs or gravestones of, you know, dead people white. So there was no mistaking, oh, here's a dead person. No, you know, that's why they, they painted it white, because they wanted you to make sure, no, do not step here. If you do, you have a week before you can worship God again. And so they they painted these things. And what Jesus is saying is that, hey, you guys are deaf. You are leading these people astray. You are teaching them wrong things. And because of that, you are making them unclean, and they don't even know it. So you are like unmarked graves and people walking over, and you're making people unclean, and they have no idea what you're doing. As a teacher, as someone who teaches, you know, maybe you're a life leader, it, hopefully everyone here, if you're know, if you a Christian, will be discipling someone at one time. That statement is the last thing that you ever want to hear, that you're leading people astray. And so that's what he's condemning them for. And then verse 45. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. So your Bible might say, experts in the law, teachers of the law, lawyers, it's the same thing. And it's not like, um, you know, you're in court defending, you know, having... Defending a defendant or whatever. Now, this was like someone who aided the Pharisees in, in understanding the scriptures and teaching it to the people of God. And so they were, they were, you know, colleagues with the Pharisees. And so there's some experts in the law, some of the friends of the Pharisees, eating dinner. And he said, hey, Jesus, dude, you're insulting us when you say this stuff too. Duh. Like, yeah, you're doing the same things that these guys are doing too. and And it's like... You know, in verse 46, Jesus says, Woe to you, lawyers, also. It's like, yeah, you know what? Yeah, I I was, but now I'm going to point you out directly. Hey, woe to you, lawyers. For you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch them, touch the burden with one of your fingers. And so what's he saying here? He's saying, like, you know, you... You, you divide up the law and you give the people all these commandments to, to follow the 613 that were inspired, as well as all the oral commandments that they were supposed to follow. And it's a, a burden that's difficult to do. Can you imagine having to follow 613 commandments plus the, the number that are in the oral law? That's crazy. That's, that's a burden. And so Jesus is saying, hey, you're legalistic, you're, you're piling all these rules on top of the Israelites. And then he says, um, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. So you could interpret this one of two ways. Uh, either he's, Jesus is saying, hey, you lawyers, you're legalistic, you, you make people do all these things, but you don't even do it yourself. So you're a hypocrite. He could be saying that, or he could be saying, you know, you load these people with all these difficult things to follow, and you don't even help them do it. You don't instruct them, okay, well do this, and you don't help them along. You don't even lift it with one of your fingers. Either way you look at it, it's not a good thing that he's saying to him, right? And so, this is, this is a really, you know, he's really coming down on these teachers, on the lawyers. And then verse 47, the, the fifth woe. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you were witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers. For they killed them, that's the prophets, and you build their tombs. Okay, so this is the fifth woe, the second woe to the lawyers. And he says, you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. And so in the Old Testament, you know, a lot of the books in the Old Testament are prophetic books. And so what God would do is, you know, he gave the Israelites, the people of God, these rules to follow. And he said, this is how you're to worship me. And they would disobey. They they uh, They would walk in disobedience, and they would not believe in God. And so God, in his grace and in his love... Sent men, sent prophets to point them back to the one and true God. So they would go and worship these false gods. And God, in His love, sent them prophets to point them back. And so, and what, he's, what Jesus is saying is that, you know, your dads, your forefathers, they're the ones that killed the prophets because they didn't want to be turned away from their sin back to God. They loved their own sin. And so He's saying, hey, the prophets that were killed, like, you know, that's, that's your dads, and you build their tombs. Another way to understand it would be like, um, you know, your fathers, they're the ones that killed the prophets and you keep them dead. You make sure that no one like them or they don't come back and preach against them. That's what Jesus is saying. That's huge, guys. That is not a nice thing to say, but it was absolutely true by the way that they were teaching the people. In verse 48, so you are witnesses and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them and you built their tombs. Verse 49, therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute. Okay, so again, uh, you know, he's, he's saying uh, er, in verse 48, you know, you consent, you stand by, you agree with what your, what your fathers did. And in verse 49, the wisdom of God, this is just another way of saying God in his wisdom. You know, so God, because he loved the Israelites, because he he knows all in his wisdom, he sent them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute. So if you look at the the prophets in the Old Testament, some of them were successful, right? Some of them went and preached against the people of Israel, and the people of Israel turned away from their sin and, and loved God again. But some of them, they hated them. I mean, really, who loves to hear um, hey, you're really messing up. You're seriously in sin right here. Who likes being? Who likes getting their sin called out on them? Like, no, and because we're so prideful, we hate it, right? And, and Israelites, we're no different. In verse 50, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. And so... What Jesus is saying, in the Old Testament, God gave Israel prophets to point them back to the scripture, point them back to the one true God. And some of them were killed and some of them were persecuted. And all the blood of the prophets who were killed are going to be charged against this generation, the Pharisees and the experts of the law. It's going to be all the blood of them, of the prophets, are going to be charged against them. What's interesting, the Abel, Cain and Abel, you remember from Genesis, um, they were Adam and Eve's kids. Well, Abel, Abel worshiped righteously. Cain worshiped unrighteously. And Cain hated Abel for it. And so Cain killed him. And in that sense, Abel was a prophet because he preached righteousness to his brother. And his brother hated it, so he killed him. He was a martyr, the very first martyr in scripture. And then Zechariah, and and Luke and Jesus tells us who this Zechariah is. Um, He was the one that died between um, the altar and the sanctuary. And this is probably, and what Jesus is saying, is the, the Zechariah in Second Chronicles. That's the one he's talking about. And in the Hebrew Bible, in the Bible that Jesus used, um, you can still get it today if you can read Hebrew, um, is that from the beginning to the end. So Second Chronicles is actually at the very end of the Bible. And our Bible is in different order, and that's a whole different topic. But, uh, so what Jesus is saying is that, the whole Old Testament, from Genesis to the, from the beginning to the end, from Genesis to Second Chronicles, the whole thing was all about me. That's what he's saying. And all the people in the Old Testament who is trying to tell you, you know, to, to worship God and to love God, and you killed them, they're going to be charged against you. Why is that? Well, because this is the generation that's going to kill the one they were prophesying about. This is the generation that's going to kill the Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah. That's why it's going to be charged against that generation. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. And the last woe, verse 52. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. The key of knowledge is salvation. It's the gospel. These these lawyers, these Pharisees, because of their legalism, and because of, of uh, their lack of focus on the heart, they were so focused on the outside, they missed the gospel. He said, you don't get it. You're not entering yourselves, and you hinder those who are entering. So again, these people are leading people astray from the, true, from the gospel, from true knowledge. Again, that's the last thing that any Christian wants to be said of them. Verse 53. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard, and to provoke him, to speak about many things, lying in wait for him, to catch him in something he might say. And so as he went away, the scribes and Pharisees began to press him. This is not like, okay, we're done with dinner, we're going to stroll out, like, you know, let's go home, go, you know, go to sleep. This was a violent term. This is press in. This was, so this was not a causal conversation they're having here. You know, stuff was probably being thrown. This, this was chaotic. Because the people did not like what Jesus was saying about them. Again, who likes to have their sin pointed out to them? Well, if you have a new heart, you're going to love it because you know it's going to make you more like Christ. If you don't have a new heart, you're going to hate it and you're going to kill God like the Pharisees did. And they began to press him and provoke him to speak about many things. So what they were trying to do, they were trying to catch him in some kind of blasphemy so they could murder him. That's the point here. And in verse 53, there's two words that, are, that Luke uses Again, Luke is very precise. He's using these words on purpose to convey a specific idea. It it says, "lying in wait for him to catch him." These are two words so interesting. Two words that are borrowed from hunting. And so he says, Luke is saying the Pharisees were hunting after Christ. They got their bow, they got their rifle. They're going hunting. They're going to get. They're going to get Jesus because they hated the things that he was saying and they hated having their own sin revealed to them. These Pharisees and, and, and lawyers, they struggle with legalism. They added all these things to the gospel. Yeah, you have to do this, but you have to do all these things too. They didn't even get the gospel for that matter. But we, can, we struggle with legalism. And you know, a lot of times it's easy for us, we're in a young church, uh, it's easy for us to say, oh, we're not legalistic, we're not w- like one of those old traditional churches. We have a different kind of legalism. You know, maybe... Um, you know, we're legalistic about the Bible translation that we use. I mean, you use the NIV? You use the TINAV? I can't believe you do that. You don't even love God. You don't like to know what God says. You know, we're legalistic about that. Um, maybe you're, uh, you know, a crunchy. You, you like, you know, organic stuff. And, like, you feed your kids, like, non organic milk? How can you do that? You don't love them. You know, I can't believe they do that. That's legalism. That's a new kind of legalism. You know, maybe, maybe you're like, you voted for Obama? You're not a Christian. You can't do that. You can't vote for this one and love Jesus. Right, that's, that's legalism. You know, parenting styles. You don't homeschool your kid? You don't send your kid to private school? Ugh, I can't, you, you must not love Jesus. That's a new kind of legalism that we have, that we are plagued with. And it's not just in old churches. Legalism is not just saying you can't smoke, drink, or chew or go with girls who do. That's legalism, yes. <laughs> but this stuff that we do is also legalism. You know, your church, you have to wear a suit and tie? It's so legalistic. Like, we're legalistic about legalism. It's, it's insane. <laughs> These Pharisees, they didn't get it because they didn't have a new heart. They were so concerned with the things that they were doing because they wanted to be recognized by people, they wanted to be accepted by people, that they missed the truth, they missed the gospel. And I know, you know, maybe you're not legalistic. Maybe, you know, that's not something you struggle with. But maybe recognition is. Maybe acceptance is. Maybe you try to do all the right things and wear all the right things and go all the right places so people will recognize you, so people will accept you. Well, hey, look, there's only one person who you need acceptance from. There's only one person who you need to be recognized by. That's Jesus. If you don't know Christ, you don't have a new heart. You're not going to get the gospel. You can can try as hard as you want to gain the recognition and acceptance by other people, but it's not going to matter. Because at the end of the day, Christ's acceptance is the only person whose matters. So if you don't have a new heart, if you're trying to gain acceptance from other people, but you don't have acceptance by Christ, Plead, ask God to give you a new heart. The gospel is that Jesus died on the cross. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He lived the perfect life. He broke, I mean, he he broke zero commandments. He kept all 613 commandments. And he died on the cross in our place, on our behalf, taking God's wrath on himself. And then he was buried. Three days later, he rose again to new life so we can walk in him. And when we place our faith and our trust that his work was sufficient, was enough, we get a new heart. And we can worship God and we can be right with God again. If you don't have a new heart, I want to talk to you. Come find me out in the hallway. Find Scott. Find one of the life group leaders. Find the person who brought you here. And you'll never have the peace that comes with knowing God and knowing that you're accepted by the one who truly matters. Let's pray.